Hello. Welcome to the Call It Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Call It Like I See It, we're going to discuss the dysfunction in the U.S. House of Representatives following the ouster of Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House, and consider what is driving this level of dysfunction that has essentially paralyzed the House of Representatives right now. And later on, we're going to react to some economic data, some recent economic data, which shows that Latinos in the U.S. now have an economic output that exceeds the nation of India, which has 1.4 billion people in it. You know, so that's that's a lot of economic output, you know, for the, the just the Latinos in the U.S. Joining me today is a man who went deep into his bag of fire takes last week. Tunde Ogonlana. Tunde. One question for you, man. Are you ready to give me some more? Yes, sir. But man. don't tell everyone it's a very small bag. It's like a baggie. <laughs> That's how you it had to go so deep. Yeah, it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like Santa's like bag of gifts, big and nice and big. But there you go. Just a little. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, we're recording this on October 17th, 2023. And a couple weeks ago, Kevin McCarthy was voted out of his speakership position. And the F in an effort that was led by just eight Republican congressmen out of 435 uh, total congressmen. And it was historic in that it was the first time a Speaker of the House was voted out, you know, during the term like that. Now, the House needs a speaker. That's an important leadership role in terms of organizing the business, bringing votes to the floor and so forth. So the Republicans who are in the majority of the House have now begun an effort to or immediately began an effort to replace him as a Speaker of the House. They first nominated Steve Scalise. Uh, but he stepped down almost immediately within like a day because he just didn't have the votes to to win to, to win the speakership, so to speak. He, he canvassed the room and saw he didn't have the votes and stepped down. And so now we have Jim Jordan, who's nominated and there's we're expecting a vote here um, by the time this comes out. Uh, and he's been putting on the full court press and there's been reports on that as far as to try to get the votes to win the speakership. The the. The, the key is that out of the 220 or so Republican congressmen, which is a majority of the 435, you need pretty much everybody. You can only have about four defects or, or, or people who don't vote for you out of your caucus in order to have enough to have the majority of the votes because none of the Democrats or, or none of the members of the Democratic Party are are going to vote for the Republican nominee. So all the while. <laughs> there's no elected speaker. So the House of Representatives just isn't operating, you know, at all. Meaning this isn't just dysfunction, but it's not even operational. So tune in. What are your thoughts on the deposing of Kevin McCarthy by the G by the GOP Congress? And, you know, a couple weeks back. And also, you know, just the struggle to agree on a new speaker of the House. Good question. But before I answer, I just want to piggyback on what you just said, because uh, you just said a mouthful. <laughs> in terms of, I realize as I'm listening to you, I'm like, man, that's a lot. And, that's a lot. And yeah, last two it, weeks. It, it, yeah, yeah. And but it also made me realize that if if um, what you talked about just now requires necessarily a certain understanding of our government and the functioning yeah. of it, like what is the House of Representatives? Why is it there? Why do we have members of the House? What do they represent? Who are they? And all that stuff. So I know we'll we'll cover some of that, but it just, you know, what what it got me back to realizing is, you know, this is the, the great system we have is about the people's participation in it. Yeah. So we we do have the democracy we deserve in that sense. So I know we'll get into that. But to answer you directly, um, you know, I find this all fascinating. Um, <laughs> the the note I wrote in prepare, preparation was a slow moving train wreck. <laughs> and I'm on the train. Because um, <laughs> just like a slow moving train wreck, it's like I'm kind of watching it, knowing that it's, it's not comfortable. And this is going to be probably painful for somebody. Um, but like I said, I'm on this train because I'm American and I live in this country. So we, we're all dealing with this together in a sense, no matter what, how we feel about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's a good yeah, reminder there's no that celebration here going on that, that they that our Congress, our legislative branch can't get their stuff together. Yeah, exactly. So, well, let's put it this way. We aren't celebrating. Maybe someone yeah. out there is. Um, so then then it kind of just brought me back and knowing we're talking about this, right, this topic. I thought about the fact that Speaker McCarthy, it took him 15 votes, a record, uh, to get his speakership yeah. um, because he kept having to concede 
his own, I guess, uh, political future, which which played out this way, to a small faction of very um, of holdout, you know, hardline uh, people in his party. And so this is an example of a minority rule within a democratic republic of the United States, meaning a very, it seems like um, 96% of Republicans in Congress did not want him removed. Yeah. So 4% of the Congress or the Republican Congress oh, the Republican is, part, yeah. um, um, were able to do this. And again, I don't know if that's dysfunction or how the system's supposed to work. But I guess that's the conversation well, we're going to have. <laughs> but I mean, you made the point, though, that it's his, as a part of becoming speaker, of getting the vote, securing the votes that he needed to become the speaker in the first place, he set the stage for his demise. You yeah. know, because the concessions that he made are the things that allowed it or made it easy for a small group of, of, of Republican congressmen to later on, if they decide to take him out. And they wanted that to have constant leverage on him. And ultimately, it wasn't a bluff. Like yeah. they, they, they weren't just saying, oh, yeah, we want to be able to, to threaten you. They wanted they ultimately took him out. Now, to me, what I see what's happening here is kind of a reorganization of the hierarchy of the Republican coalition. As you noted, these are kind of far right uh, agitators or whatever you want to call them um, in the within the, the Republican coalition. political parties. I've talked about this before in the United States. We form coalitions before the voting. You know, our, our coalitions are housed under parties and parliamentary systems around the world. You'll hear you have a bunch of different parties and they'll all win a percentage of the vote vote and then they'll come to parliament and make governing coalitions. Well, our coalitions are done beforehand because of the nature of our elections. You, you had to get to 51 percent or you, you want to be able to get to 51 percent. So you won't, don't want to be fragmented with a bunch of different groups. And so you, the coalitions form. And so it, within each of the parties, the varying coalitions have different amount of power, different levels of power. And so you kind of have the traditional group that's been in power of the, the, the Republican coalition for a while. And there's they're just basically taking fire from the, the right flank, you know, and the, the right flank is trying to, to say we are going to be the dominant coalition now in this party. And this is something that many people have said has happened, you know, ac across the board, you know, the, the big lie type of stuff, you know, like that, that, that there's this, this come coming from the, the, the extreme right that are saying, look, we're going to be, the Republican party is going to be about us now. It's not going to be about, uh, you know, small government or, you know, all these things that we think about from 1980 that the Republican party said they were about, but it's going to be about different stuff now, whether that's Donald Trump or whether that's, you know, the, the the never compromise on anything or anything like that. So to me, that's what I really see here is that this is the, the this wing, this coalition right here was like, look, McCarthy is not do sufficiently doing our bidding. We set up the, the trap door on him when he got in here. We're going to pull the trap door and then they're going to try to impose upon the next person who comes either similar types of constraints or they're going to try to get one of their own to be the Speaker of the House. Then, Yeah. No, and and I think you know as 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 you're finishing, it makes me realize the fact that um, the the just former speaker, Mr. McCarthy, is out. Uh, he broke two records, uh, so he he broke the record when he got nominated for the most votes because he had to twist himself into a pretzel, and then he broke the record for being the first guy ever removed in this way, um, which, which you which know are related. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's yeah. pretty embarrassing. And so I think you know, not to knock him, it's it's more of this is, I think, the symptom of a wider problem that's been brewing uh, for some time, especially over the last decade, but it, it had seeds even earlier than that. And I think what this, we're at the culmination, this is very, just very interesting being alive to watch this in our own country, um, because this is no longer about the, the traditional disagreements between liberals and conservatives over um, how to deal with government and what its role should be in our lives. So like yeah. you said like, about should taxes be relatively high or relatively low? But correct. again, and, still and, in some how should that right. tax revenue be used? Right. Like yeah, 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 used yeah. for entitlement programs and helping out people, you know, the single moms trying to raise their kids and helping them with food stamps and, and, and early learning projects. Or should it go to defense spending and giving, you know, oil and gas companies leases on federal lands, uh, yeah. you know, that are very cheap. Those are the things you and I grew up with in terms of the arguments between both parties, um, but they both centered around an idea of, it was really about the philosophy of the two different bases of each party of how to see the country move forward. And I think- Let me, let me say that a different way. Yeah. It wasn't, the, 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 those arguments weren't about the what. 
the what was agreed upon. What are we doing here? It was the how. How are we going to 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 use our resources to to accomplish the what? But you know, I think what you're getting to now is that we're actually having more. Dis- we're, we're heading more towards some disagreements about the what. Like, okay, well, yeah, what, well is, what, think- what are we going to be working on here? What's interesting is, and this is just interesting, it's really sad for me to say it because I think we, you know, we benefit, all of us, from a robust debate um, and the, what the whole point of this country is. Well, that's know, one the, of the, the things the that we system. don't yeah. that, that aren't necessarily agreed upon anymore, you know, but yeah, well, we, that was one of the that, things we take for granted. Yeah, but this is our show, so I'm expressing my <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, so I'll let you say it without being challenged. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Come on. So, of course, of course, some people don't agree with this. That's why we're here. That's the whole conversation. So, no, but that's the point is saying that the idea of debate, you know, you have Congress, again, what you, like I said at the beginning, you said some complex things, which aren't, I'm not saying it to be a smart ass. What I'm saying is it's the understanding of the system. We have an upper and lower chamber of the U.S. Congress. The Senate is the upper chamber, the House of Representatives being the lower chamber, both create and ratify legislation that goes to the president's desk for signature. So the idea is that debate between the two parties as de facto and proxy representatives of us, the voters, happens in those chambers, like you said, that should lead to an outcome that benefits the nation or puts us forward with the best ideas. And what I think we're seeing is the culmination of this era of anger and kind of grievance. And this is what it's turned into, uh, you know, and this is why I think it's hard for the Republican Party to find this direction right now, because what they've done well, is exhausted. Let me ask you the question. I, I yeah. want to ask you this. Why Go do you ahead. think it's so hard for them to come up with this seemingly like they have the majority of seats in the House of Representatives? So in any other scenario and in at, earlier this year. They then will use their votes, their majority votes, to, to to vote on in a Speaker of the House. Why do you think they're having such a hard time with doing that? You know, like it, this, and, and you were touching on it, but I, I think we just go straight into it. Yeah, no, I think I mean, look, the definition is dysfunction. So I guess how do how do you get to this dysfunction? I want to be very clear. I mean, it's interesting. Also, like I, I definitely. Just for the audience, I'm, I'm not a Democrat, so I'm not here to be a partisan, like beating up Republicans of this discussion. Um, I found one thing and even preparing today is when when one side is dysfunctional, it actually highlights something of the other side. And I realized, you know, the Democrats, you know, we heard a lot of negative things from kind of the, the, the media on the right about Nancy Pelosi during her tenure and all that. And again, I recognize her politics may have upset some people. But I kind of realized watching this, I'm thinking, yeah, it's interesting how she didn't seem to have these problems. She was able to have control of her caucus. So that's part of leadership is just being able to hold down the fort. Now, everybody, the, keeping everybody on board. Yeah. Correct. And, and, and the problem here is, again, whether one agrees with democratic policies and ideas or not, the idea, what I'm going to say is Democrats still have um, <clears throat> their own reason of being other than just grievance and anger, um, no matter what the media tries to tell us, right? It's things like green energy, um, trying to fight climate change. Um, like Social we talked justice, about, they like, still yeah, believe. Things that, yeah, things that they, people may disagree with, but you can name them. And correct. it's like, yeah, like, yeah. like we were just saying earlier, like they still believe in redistribution of certain wealth from the tax policies and all that to help those at the bottom and all that's to me, I can say, okay, I can point to that. Um, we don't no longer know what the Republican Party is really about in terms of what it used to be, like you said, the 80s and 90s, early 2000s, because right now it, they've been cannibalizing their own leaders because it's almost like this um, resentment from the ground up. So the base is all is angry now, constantly angry and triggered. The, the media triggers them, the social media, all that could the ecosystems trigger and what we've well, got a certain now is part a, of the base, we should say, because it's not the yeah. entire base, but a large enough part of the base that it really, really matters. Correct. And a very aggressive, like you said, vocal. So it kind of yeah. scares the people that aren't as aggressive from from standing up against it. And I think that's what we're seeing now with with this fight for the new speaker. And so that's the thing. I think that's the issue is it's like the dog that caught the car for a group of people that perform better when they're out of power, if that makes sense, because 
when you're out of power, it's easy to constantly criticize and throw tomatoes from the cheap seats and say that everything sucks. But once they get in power, then then they, they don't seem to have that direction, right? Like, yeah. like, think about how serious the world just got in the last two weeks between the attack from Hamas on Israel. We've got a government shutdown looming in three weeks. We still have a land war in Europe, like a real war for the first time since World War II. And the Republican Party can't find a Speaker of the House in this moment of seriousness. So, Which is seemingly a pretty basic function. You know, like that's yeah. kind of one of the, the the first steps of leadership is, okay, or, you know, in, in, in Congress. Now, I want to say kind of what you were saying, but in a different light. Like what I, what I see here is that the unifying principle of the co- – I'm talking about the coalitions and so forth. The unifying principle seems to be about – either the grievance or owning the Dems, you know, it seems to be a unifying principle about the Republicans settling scores with the media or with Democrats or whatever. It's always about an opponent, a political adversary and so forth is every, the things that unify them, that animate them. It's always are about scoring things on a political sense. And so that does leave you ill-equipped when it's just within your own group and saying, okay, all right, within our group, what are we going to do? Because it's like, well, it, it's not about what, who they select as a speaker, whether they can agree on a speaker doesn't have anything to do with really the Democratic Party. It doesn't really have anything to do with the media, you know, and, and, and with certain exceptions, which you may get into. But so this is only about looking at the, the Republicans looking at each other and saying, OK, what do we want to be about? And this is honestly what. You And you brought this up offline. I, I, I think you're going to get into this, and so I'm not going to go too far into it. But we saw this start to, 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 to come to fruition a little bit back in 2020 when the Republican Party, and we've mentioned this on the show before, their platform for the 2020 election was what – what Donald Trump wants to do, you know, like it wasn't normally parties, each, each presidential election, they have a long platform and it's about, oh, you know, we want to build roads and we want to do this and do that. And they didn't do a platform like that for the, you know, this was just like, oh, we're just going to, we're about what Donald Trump is about. And so that is, again, not to say that is the cause of this, but that's a symptom. That's an example from their own mouths that there aren't a set of principles, a set of things that we want to get done when in power in the country that unite the whole caucus, that, that bring the, this coalition of groups together that they all can agree on. And so when you have to say, OK, well, we need leadership, you're ill-equipped, really, because all you're about is either we're following this guy who's not here right now, who's not, you know, it was not able to become there. We're not going to become the Speaker of the House. Or it's about let's make sure that we stop the Dems from doing fill in the blank. And it's like, well, but this is about you having to do something, not not dealing with the Democrats, just you yourself. And so can you can you everybody get can you get everybody on the same page about doing something for yourself as opposed to doing something to thwart what you you know, what you build your 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 identity around and thwarting the enemies or thwarting the media or something like that? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, before even getting into, um, you know, the, 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 the party platforms and that stuff, it, it's just interesting. Cause again, as you're speaking, uh, I, I just want to remind the audience, you know, why is this important is the speaker of the house. Number one is basically the next in line for the presidency of the United States after the vice president. Uh, so if God forbid, you know, Biden and Harris are traveling somewhere and the plane goes down. The Speaker of the House leads the country. So right well, now, that, that, that the Speaker of the House brings like that's a more remote, but they bring legislation to yeah, the Yeah, that's, that's where I was going next. So <laughs> yeah. right now, with all what I just said going on around the world and Biden j- today is in Israel. So, again, God forbid something happens right in terms of our leadership as a country, um, then we have no one in position to take that authority. Uh, and like you said, we have all this stuff going on, which we just mentioned, and a government that is at risk of shutting down in three weeks, and we can't pass any legislation. We can't even so bring it to the floor. Like, we can't yeah, even so, consider legislation. You know, like, so to me, that's like, like the House of Representatives, their job is to bring legislation to the floor and then pass it, and then the Senate will consider it, or vice versa. The Senate will pass something, and the House considers it. We can't do that. Like Congress cannot operate right now. At all. Yeah, no, that's you know. that's why I want to say it for the audience because some, that's what I mean. This all sounds wonky sometimes and all that, but it's it's really to stress the point right now. 
an important branch of our government out of the three branches, one of them is dysfunctional, period. And so it's not operational. I would go even further. It's like we got we got a tricycle and one of the wheels is gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So no, and that's what I mean. In in a time with all this going on, which yeah. I mean, look, it's a it, it, there's always important things going on, but it seems a little bit heavier now. So going back to the point you said about like the party platform and all that, I mean, I, I just you know, in preparing for today, I was just thinking about the assault on the American voter by certain parts of our political spectrum, and I got to thinking back, you know, into like there's three phases of this that have already happened. And now we are entering the new phase, which is, I kind of, I, I, just stay with me here. 1968 to 1994, I kind of went from Southern strategy through the 94 Congress was kind of phase one. Then I said phase two was kind of the 9-11 and, and the George W. Bush era, because that was kind of when the nativism, and again, not to bash American people, we were scared after 9-11. Um, and that's when I remember I've said this in other discussion, the first time I've seen people on the news saying you're either with us or against us. And the Bush administration was the first time in my life that I saw kind of an authoritarian style presidency in the United States. Remember, we had the issue with the, um, um, the U.S. attorney's offices and and the way that um, the, the kind of rhetoric from the administration of this, like I said, this with us or against us thing. And a lot of Americans kind of fell into that. And then the next phase I had was the Tea Party era, the 2010s, and the response to Obama's presence. And that led us to kind of now, because I thought about important issues like, let's say, healthcare in this country, which is very important. Um, we had Americans being told there were death panels and all that stuff. And that was now 13 years ago. But the opposing party has not come with any ideas in 13 years of how to make our healthcare system better. Um, you know, at least the party that opposed that. And that's what I'm talking about is I'm not here to say that the democratic ideas are the best. We need good challenging ideas. We just haven't had any because the party has devolved from a platform of ideas that are conservative and how to, you know, make America better to now becoming a personality call of anger and also this issue of the, the, the fealty to one man, like idolatry. So, well, I don't no, know I mean, that's an interesting that. point um, in the sense that like the reason if you go back to the 1980s and you can consider whether this is totally genuine or, or just convenient, but there was rationale and reasoning provided for why entitlement programs were bad. And it was, you know, like, well, people need to, to stand on their own two feet. If you if the government helps people, then they become more irresponsible. Like in that stuff, there is a logical basis for that type of a uh, rationale. Like, hey, you know, if, if we're just if it's a welfare, a nanny state then the people will, will, many people will not try to even stand on their own two feet. They'll just, you know, become, you know, part of just take care of by the government and, and that's it. And so versus going to, you know, like, okay, we're going to do, we're going to, the government's going to foot more of the bill in healthcare. The government's going to do certain parts of healthcare and the push against that, there may have been some underlying basis from a logical or rational standpoint, but like you said, it became like death panels. It became like deception, trying to get people angry, trying to get people afraid of it. As opposed to being it something at being okay, well, okay, if, if we need to solve the healthcare problem, which I, I, everybody seemed to acknowledge there was, either in terms of costs or in terms of how we're administrating it, let's we need we have a different idea. Our idea is better because it won't fall into blank trap and so forth. So there's definitely something there. I mean, one thing I'll point out here is that the, the from the ground up, you know, like this issue. As you pointed out before, this doesn't seem to be something that's being driven. Um, the, 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 this level of dysfunction, dissatisfaction, anger doesn't seem to be coming from the top. It seems to be brewing up. And so in the House of Representatives, honestly, and, and well, you know, it, it is the branch of our government or the part of our government in the federal government that's closest to the people. So if there is a level of dissatisfaction, dysfunction, distrust that's brewing up from the people, it's going to hit the House of Representatives first, most likely, because that's the one There's 435 of them. Your your House districts, Senate is is two per state, whereas House districts are much smaller, generally speaking, unless it's a very small from a population standpoint state. But you're, those the House of Representatives members are supposed to be closest to the, you know, the, the citizens, so to speak. So our, I want my question for you is. Do you think the level of dysfunction here? 
you know, like, do you think that it actually is revealing, though, more of an issue with the, the failure in the system? Or do you think this is truly people driven? Like, it's a chicken and egg thing. Like, we can see that there's a lot of anger and so and, and, and resentment in the public. But are there systemic things that you think that are that are actually driving that as well? Or do you think this is, you know, like a like a, a whether it be misguided or not, something that is being driven by from the ground up from, you know, the, the parts of the, the, the Republican electorate? Um, of course, there's, there's, it's all swirling together to, to all the ingredients of the stew, but I think that it's a little bit more of the f- latter than the former. Um, I do think of, there's, of course, we're a big society with 330 million people and we got and a lot going on. And we're only talking on, about so. Republican voters right now, you know, because yeah. this no, is- No, uh, where I'm getting at is, of course, there's systemic issues in any nation as big as ours. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think we need to accept the fact that there's never going to be a finish line when we just get everything done. It's just all this accomplishment stuff. And then everything's great forever for the rest of our And you know, also there's eternity. no perfect system. And, you yeah. Know, like and also because yeah. there's 300 plus million of us. So we all have a different idea of maybe how a perfect system might look. Um, <laughs> and so that's the idea of a democracy, right? Is that we, we, we figure it out. We go vote. We vote for people to sit in the House of Representatives to rese- represent us. And they are supposed to vote on our behalf, you know, to, in the way that we, you know, that based on their party, how, like we said at the beginning of this discussion, based on a certain philosophical outlook that a voter has and chooses a party to, to follow based on that outlook. And so I think that I don't want to get to beating up the system so much because the system's never been perfect. You know, like I tell, remind people, we used to have slavery in this country where human beings were owned like cattle. Then we had segregation. We used to have, we had women's suffrage for a reason because there was a time up until 100 years ago, women couldn't vote. So there's all that stuff, right? That That's just reality. And so right now, if I compare it to all those prior things that we could talk about, the system is okay, um, you know, for the general American in general. Now, I understand the middle class is smaller than it was and all that, but those are the normal debates that you're supposed to have in politics, right? And we've gone from that to talk to freaking out about, you know, whether a transvestite holds a beer can or if the, you know, stoves are going to be gas or, or electric. And that's what I mean, like things that in the wake of this recent stuff going on, like the war between Hamas and Israel, and you think about Ukraine still going on and literally they're still sending missiles at each other in Europe and, you know, just all this serious stuff, all of a sudden, all that stuff looks so petty. And it's, it's interesting because with, with this anger, I do think it's coming from the ground up. And I think what we've done is because leadership's important. And we've just watched over the last decade Republican leaders that saw this coming try to get ahead of it and tell the public that this is what's going to happen. And they've all been pushed out of the party. Yeah. So I don't, again, I don't know where we go from here, right? From no, John McCain to Liz Cheney, you know, in the recent example. Is, is, Jeff Flake. Yeah, there's there's a bunch yeah. of them. And now Mitt Romney's the one, you know, that's, you know, but there's been a steady line of, of Republican leaders who have been, out, uh, yeah, as they've been pushed out or walked out, been like, yo, this is not going where you guys think it's going. But you, um, you know, it's the sad part. I just want to say this before you take over, because I want to get your thoughts on this. This has led us to the point where, because there's a lack of real leadership, I, I was just thinking about the death panels from um, that we remember from the Obamacare stuff. All that fear, Which right? Was a purposeful and, deception. We we didn't say correct. that. Like it was a purposeful deception to make people afraid, make people mad, to in order right. to then manipulate. But them But that further. was back yeah. when you could still one could make an argument that that was a deception because the philosophy of the overall party of the Republican Party was to fear something like universal style healthcare and all this. So by gumming up the works in the public perception, they were able to get the closest thing to non-universal, which was the idea that private health insurance would just get subsidized by the government. But fast forward, the reason I'm bringing this up is fast forward to right now, like the last few weeks. I've seen immediately when asked why uh, McCarthy lost his speakership on his own um, press conference after he lost, one of the things he did was blame Nancy Pelosi. He said that because she promised him she would step up and support him and she didn't. And then the day that Hamas attacked Israel, all the Republican candidates for president blamed Joe Biden. And a few days later, the leading front runner of the Republican 
party for president said Hamas was very, or Hezbollah was very smart and praised President Xi because he can keep 1.4 billion people in line. Well, and but, none of the people um, had a comment on that. So what I'm well, saying but, is the lack of leadership got us here. Well, the deception, though, you can say, oh, well, the previous deception was more honorable because it led to, but that opened the door for just deception. It was just like, look, but that's and this saying. is Mitt Romney's here. point. Well, yeah. this is Mitt Romney's point that, that he's been saying for a few years is that we got to stop. We, speaking of him and his fellow uh, Republicans, we got to stop lying to our people. That's not me saying that. That's what Mitt Romney is saying. And so you open the door and this is what comes through, basically, is like, OK, well, we can let's deceive to try to defeat a legislative priority of the, you know, of the Democrats. And now it's like, well, let's deceive for other reasons too. You know, the deceptions yeah. seem to work. And so, I mean, to me, I think there are systemic issues, you know, in terms of how the system is driven by money and some of these things that have been unraveled actually in the last 20 years in terms of, you know, money and politics and just the nature of what it takes to, 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 to get in power and to stay in power. I think lead people to a, a, a place that may lead to more dysfunction. But what we're seeing here is driven from the ground up. I don't think there's there's no equivocation about that. The, and the way you know this is that people who are pushing for stability and or for rationality are punished at the polls and people that are pushing for chaos and for, you know, just let's blow it up are rewarded at the polls. And you talk about how, you know, the political candidates when, you know, this uh, Hamas does this crazy attack on Israel. Uh, and, you know, again, when we've talked about that, you know, like that, that I, I'm one that can look at what was what Hamas did and call that crazy while still understanding that there's complexities going on in the entire, you know, Israel-Palestinian type of um, front or that what's happening there. But, you know, like, again, you can distinguish that. So I'm not going to go down that point, but look at that and then say, hey, what should we do? Oh, let's blame Joe Biden. The reason for that is what we talked about earlier, because they know there are very few things that unite all Republicans these days. But one of those things are, are blaming something on the Democrats. Like that's one yeah. of the things that pulls the whole coalition together. So that's kind Plus of one the of their anger. only... Yeah, that's the one of their only yeah. plays. If they could blame the Democrats successfully for something with the speaker vote, they could, I'm sure, solve that right away, too, because yeah. that will get everybody <clears throat> in line. Once it becomes something they can blame, they can like they can find some way, whether it's honest or dishonest, to blame the Democrats for. So to me, like the the, the fact that the, the 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 agents of chaos are the ones that are ascendant, that are that, that you don't come in, cause chaos. And then it's like you're worried that, oh, man. You know, I don't know if, if I cause chaos, I don't think the voters will, will, will appreciate that. That to me is the is makes it clear that this is something that's driven from the ground up. But the, so the real question, honestly, is why? Why are particularly the because the, this this is the part that I, I find so fascinating is that why are Republican voters much more so than other voters, Democratic voters or more independent voters so disturbed perpetually right now? that they support people who uh, essentially are out there saying we got to blow it up debate and compromise we can't we can't debate we can't compromise forget the separation of powers we got to everything needs to be streamlined democratic elections are optional if we don't win you know like what is driving the the ground up swell that's in the Republican party it's not the whole you know group but what's driving that cuz to me and I I can throw you can you know take the take a look at this or take a you know shot at this if you want um or not but to me that actually is the question that is really raised here when you're looking at okay there are a lot of people here that seem like they're just out on a lot of the things that we talk about in terms of okay well yeah there needs to be debate there needs to be compromise there needs to be you know we're all we're Americans we're all Americans and we need to be pulling in the same direction and that doesn't seem to be something we can agree on right now. Yeah. Um, look, there's a lot there. Um, I think we're, we're no, because I'll, I'll finish off on your last question, but I want to go back. As you were talking, I wrote a note here that you're right about this. This anger is coming from the ground up. And, I, you know, in my opinion, it's like we talked about, about the death panels, right? It's being manipulated by specifically media outlets. Um, and I, and I, and I, and I want to say this, you know, this idea that the liberal media is the most powerful thing in the world is again, interesting because I would say the mainstream media 
is more corporate than liberal. Um, you know, we can we can get into that. But you think about it, everyone recognizes that the top cable news um, anch- uh, opinion heads and anchors in the evening uh, uh, slots are all on Fox. It's, you know, former Tucker Carlson, it's Sean Hannity, it's Laura Ingram. They're the ones that dominate. It's seemingly whoever they put on TV. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so you can go clearly, back to Bill O'Reilly. It, it, like, yeah. it, whoever and, they put and, on TV instantly and, becomes the most powerful news anchor. Yep. And we learned a lot through anchor, things like the discovery uh, process during the Dominion lawsuit that, you know, there's a lot of money to be made with this anger uh, style of selling media. Um, and that's one reason why Fox lost its lawsuit and had to settle because it was evident that once they actually got honest about the election not being stolen, they were losing viewership to other outlets and they got worried about their stock price and other things and they started lying. And so that's where it's it's sad because we saw in writing text messages from anchors like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity that they didn't believe what they were telling their own viewers. And that's why it's a very difficult thing for me to, to wrap my mind around because I don't necessarily blame the voters because they're being told by people that they're supposed to trust, like TV anchors and like congressmen and senators who they elect and who are in their ecosystem of messaging. And so Hence when you Mitt have Romney's point, Hence, that, that's, yeah, that was Ms. Rom- when, Romney's point. When, when you have people that are elected officials telling you things that are lies, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm not going to blame the people there. That's why I said it's, it's, it's really about leadership. And so the problem is, is that um, what I wrote here was that McCarthy was voted out because he compromised, yep. because he dared to keep the government open. And the, what they don't realize is like the debt ceiling debate just a few months ago. Joe, I mean, McCarthy actually got so many concessions out of Joe Biden and the Democrats for the debt ceiling. Remember, a month before the debt ceiling deadline, Biden was like, I'm not debating anything. You guys come to the table with it, just keep going to clean and, and or else I'm not doing it. By the end of that debate to keep to keep the, the government or the debt ceiling uh, going up, Republicans were able to get the IRS funding put to the side. They were able to get a lot of things done. And so the fact that McCarthy was fired by his own party for compromising on keeping the government open, which would keep two million Americans employed by the government with a paycheck and keep our ability to function properly shows you a lot. It shows you that we now have a a group of politicians that really are just interested in their own power and not in not the just country. that they yeah. see that they derive power from chaos yeah. so they're interested in their excuse me they're interested in their power and they understand and you know, they seem to have a really good feel for the fact that they derive power from creating chaos and yeah i mean it's interesting yeah you brought up the the the, the whole liberal media boogie, boogeyman corporate media type of thing but if we look at the last couple of years whether it be the dominion lawsuit whether it be what's happening right now um, with the speakership and so forth, the way that we see the the Fox Newses of the world and and the, the radio hosts or podcast hosts that are, it seems like conservative media is the the most powerful force right now because yeah, they're able to really they're able to topple uh, you know like the the leadership of the House you know or they're able yeah. to, to 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 put up a, a presidential candidate and keep his support strong through indictment after indictment and so you know it, it's quite a you know, it almost becomes, you know, the, the, the indictment of the liberal media is almost like the ultimate throw off, you know, the liberal media, yeah. which, again, you and I call the corporate media because, you know, these aren't nonprofits that are out here. You know, well, it's doing, the need to have a boogeyman, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just and it's also. Well, it's the need to have. Remember, because yeah. if, if you're if your coalition is united by sticking at the people, you've got to have people to stick it to. Yeah. And so you cre- you have to you have to you either have to have the boogeyman or create the boogeyman so that you can unite people behind sticking it to that person. Or, or yeah. in other words, the straw man, you know, like you create it like that. So, I mean, I, I do want to move to the next topic. I mean, it, it's, there's still a lot happening, like I said, with with this. And this is going to be an ongoing story. Um, but even with even, you know, if, if, if Jim Jordan, who is up for the position now, if he's able to, 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 to win the election and become the Speaker of the House, we're not seeing the last of this, basically. Um, Jim Jordan is more closely aligned with the far right uh, you know, members of the House, um, and you will see how he governs. You know, but he understands where his, but- his, his bread is buttered as well. So, 
you know, again, if if it's not very democratic for eight House of Representative out of members out of um, 435 to be able to hold so many cards, but it's the situation we're in because, as I pointed out in the beginning, who's in charge amongst the the 220 so members of House of Representative of Republican House of Representative members? That's what's being fought over right now, and so and we're going to see how that plays out over the next year or so, and over the next week, you know, and next day, and then over the next year. So, the second topic we want to discuss today. Um, you had sent me a piece that was, was very interesting um, the other day, and it was just about how uh, Latinos in the U.S., their economic output measured in terms of GDP, now exceeds the GDP of India, the country. And this, India has or 1.4 billion people in it. And, you know, this is a not that's not some, you know, completely third world. And India has that's a nuclear power. They sent something to space not so long ago. Like it's a serious country. And so, I mean, what was your, you know, what are your thoughts on this as far as, you know, just, just a segment of our population, not a majority segment or anything, but just a segment of our population having such robust economic output relative to, you know, just other world powers? Well, without intensely trying to tie in the part one of our show today and our conversation with now is that might have to do with some of this anger in the public. (laughs) (laughs) We have a demographic that just is doing so well compared to everyone else. Um, I could see that being, you know, an issue for people, especially given the history of our country. So um, they're not for everybody, but for enough people that they get vocal about it. I find this very interesting. Look, first thing, I'm happy to see this, right? I mean, uh, at, at the end of the day, we're American. So any group in this country who's having a nice big economic boom is helping the rest of us. So we're all, you know, we're all sharing this economy together. So I will say well, that now. Look at it like that again, to your well, other, to your point, you like, just like made. Said, if you look I'm at it like, Hey, Americans people, are in this yeah. together. I'm, then, I'm, you know, I'm not, that, yeah. I'm not angry about it. Maybe someone else is, but not me. Um, well, no, I, I mean, that's the thing. if you're, if you, if you take the mindset that Americans are in it together, then this would, you would take this as positive news. But if you're looking at it and Americans are fighting over a zero sum type of thing, then you might not see this as a good thing. Yeah. Well, if I'm you're happy not, about it. you know, yeah. if, if, if you're not inclined, and I'm also happy to add, I'll add a few more countries. So not only is us Latino, uh, uh, GDP, uh, output higher than, India, but it's also higher than the UK, France, Italy, and Canada. So again, like you said, these are serious countries with their mm-hmm. own big economies and all that. And so the other thing that that I found interesting with um, the stat, uh, there we go. So from 20, I'll just quote this article, the, from 2011 to 2021, so over a 10-year period, the US Latino economy was the third fastest growing among major economies, trailing only China and India. Mm-hmm. So it grew at a pace faster than any other country outside those two countries. And it grew at a pace faster than the United States as a whole. So I just, it's fascinating. I think it's, you know, I, I would have the attitude of why wouldn't I be happy or anyone be happy, but I recognize, you know, like yeah, you said, yeah, some yeah, people yeah. look at it as if, if they're doing better then I must not be. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, there, there are a certain number of people in the world that do have, bring that zero sum mentality, you know, but, and again, if you're trying to have a pluralistic society, that could be dangerous. Well, see, you know? I'm going to so, say this to be really nerdy about it. This is the beauty that we got off the gold standard in 1973 and now have fractional and uh, banking and inflationary <laughs> the deficits because the pie just keeps growing. Yes. <laughs> that, that definitely is one of the benefits. Is the pie. If you do it right, the pie can continue yeah, to grow. Exactly. And I mean, and, and my, my take yeah, on this Until is, it collapses, but until then, we're good. Well, but, if, but that's why I say if you do it right, you know, because if you don't yeah, do it right, then you, you're walking yourself to a collapse. Yeah. But, and we've learned those lessons already, but again, we, we've talked about before, kind of the living memory, just because see, we've yeah. learned the lesson doesn't the, mean we're going to apply those, 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 you know, apply what we learned. Let's see if generation the government gets funded in three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, but to me, what stands out about this one is just how big the United States is. Like we, we talk about all these other countries and, you know, and just, and like they are, are, are the United States is just a very large country from a landmass standpoint and a population standpoint. Now, it's not as large as India or China or something like that in terms of population. But when you look at like European powers and so forth, like the size of our some of our states will exceed them. You know, California, we know, is one of the largest yeah. economies, you know, on its own and largest economies in the world. Um, and so just the sheer size of the United States and the size of the United States economy is staggering when you can take a 15, 20% slice and say, okay, this now exceeds so much, uh, so many other places in the world. 
Um, the other thing is, I think this is also indicative of that we are our, our economic system again while you know i can raise some issues with it in terms of how well it's able to to reward the winners on an ongoing basis and not just those who won previously but it's it's a really really good system i mean that you can have a group within a society have such a big leap now the group may have had more room to grow because of where they were starting you know coming in you know if it's a lot of uh with a lot of immigrants and so forth there's a lot of room to grow there because um, immigrants typically don't come well in mass with a lot of 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 things to their name already but you know it really does show you know that the system ha- that we do have is one that is good for promoting economic activity, you know, which is not a given around the world. And so, you know, you look at things like the infrastructure, the courts, the banks, the regulation that some people hate. But again, this is the stuff that sets the stage for growth like this and for economic activity. So we we can sometimes a lot of times we get hung up on the imperfections or the things that it's like, oh, okay, well, we got all these mass accumulations of wealth. And, you know, that's undermining our political system. That's underlining our market system and all that. We, We plenty to complain about. But sometimes it's good to just take the larger view and say, wow, this is quite an operation that we have going here. And that's what really stands out to me about that. And, and kudos to, you know, like, it's not like we, we a lot of times we look at the, 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 the Latin American community or, you know, the Latino community and be like, it's one group and they're all in one place. And it's like, well, no, this is dispersed throughout the United States. But still, it does show that any of these groups that, you know, we, we segment ourselves out as we're all Americans, one, but two, we want more opportunities because then this can happen. You know, like you create more opportunities, then more groups can grow. And as you pointed out, and then, which I agree, this makes the United States overall stronger. Yeah. And I think also it highlights going, I mean, again, not to beat a dead horse about part one, but the dysfunction of our Congress really hurts a topic like this in the future about our ability to bring in immigrants in an organized way that will then, like you're saying, work and help grow the economy. Because if we don't, we're going to be like Europe and Japan where we have a falling birth rate. The aging don't society. don't have the ability. Issue. Yeah, the, correct. Like that's, America's been able to avoid the aging society issue, United States, for so long because of immigrants, you know? And yeah. so can keep and, a society, keep a, a, a culture, a society that keeps growing and an economy, the economy that keeps growing and growing and growing because we're, we keep getting an influx of it. And I always point this out. The immigrant is not the one who's lazy. The immigrant is the one who got up and, and, moved hundreds or thousands of miles, you know, like, and the people that stayed behind are the people that are the, the less motivated, uh, not all the time, but a lot of times, you know, so that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. can, how about we tell, tell another country, hey, how about you send us, you know, the people that, you know, the, the real go-getters of your society and you keep everybody yeah. else. Like normally, you know, you would think from a logical standpoint, somebody would be like, yeah, 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 that's a good deal for the United States. So no, you're hundred percent right. Well, I think it's, it's a victim of just, again, the, the dysfunction we talked about in the first half of the show and, and, Again, a lot of Americans now have been trained to be very angry about the everything. immigration and the southern border. <laughs> everything. And so, yeah, well, everything, but that especially. And so when I look at, you know, I'm looking at another uh, thing I'll read. Latinos significantly, significantly bolstered the U.S. economy through population growth, a high degree of workforce participation, and increased productivity linked to educational attainment. Yeah. So what I realized in reading, I was like, okay, if they're Latino, then 100% of them were immigrants from south of this country into this country. Now, well, not immediately. I mean, saying that generational, but nonetheless. Well, yeah, of course. But what I'm saying is at some point, someone was not in the United States and came here or else they'd be a Native American, not Native American indigenous, but an an American that from, you know, Europe, right? From the, the, the Mayflower or some English ship. So everyone else would be considered an immigrant in a different way than either a Someone that settled the colonies or an African slave descendant or a Native American as an indigenous. Everyone else is an immigrant or descendants of immigrants. So the, the, the reality is that by me saying that doesn't mean that I don't recognize we have an issue with the border right now and there needs to be streamlined. But who's the only one that can fix that without doing something authoritarian like just saying build a wall or send a military is Congress. Right. We need new immigration laws because this is evidence. You know, again, it's one of those things. Numbers don't lie. Like you said, the people coming here are the people who had a, have enough either stress in their own country or ambition that they're going to come here and work. We just need to make it an organized system again like it was in the past prior to, let's say, the last 20 years of, of our own dysfunction. 
So again, that's 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 and, one and thing. The point being is that when the system is disorganized, then what you have is a disorganized rush to the border. When the system is organized and predictable, then people can participate in an organized and predictable system. And the the idea of just rushing the border is less, uh, you know, it's less appealing because oh, then you're going to get caught or you know, yada yada yada. But when that's the only option because the system is broken and there is no legitimate means to say, okay, I'm going to apply. I got to wait three years and then they'll, they'll bring me in. Then, you know, you incentivize the chaos at the border by not creating an alternate solution. And so, and that's really what we're lacking a lot of times when this, in this immigration debate, it's always framed as we just got to stop what's happening at the border. And it's like, well, why is that happening at the border? It's happening at the border because the signals that we're sending is that there is no organized way to do this. There is no uh, proper way that we've set up that, that does the, that we can do this and that it works. You got if you want to get in here, you got to just rush the border. That's the signal we're, yeah. sing, sing, we're sending by not having a a set well, system. And, and, and that's you know, the like problem you said, that has to having, from Congress. Yeah, and, and that's what I was going to say. That's the problem of having Congress being dysfunctional on a topic like this, and then having it only any changes made through executive orders by a president, because you make a good point. Every time, and since George W. Bush, who tried this and, and wasn't able to get the Congress around to doing anything, so we've had now Bush, Obama, Trump, and now Biden, four presidents, that you're right. Each one sends a different signal. And so each time we have a new president, it's a different signal to South American countries. And of course, they're dealing with their own misinformation. And each time we have an election, they know there's yeah. about to be a different signal. And like, so it's, Correct. it creates, so yeah, that's what I mean. It creates, yeah. So we don't have permanent legislation where no matter who the president is, the, 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 the understanding is this is how you deal with coming in the U.S. And, and also for us Americans to know. Yeah. And, you know, I guess maybe somebody benefits from Americans being angry and, and this system being chaotic. I'm not That's, sure who. Going back to the first part, yes, there are people <laughs> who seem to benefit from, and understand they benefit from chaos and anger and fear. And so, I mean, honestly, the, the biggest thing is that people who don't want chaos, anger, and fear, or don't want to emphasize or prioritize those have to take a look at their own choices and have to look at who they're supporting and so forth to, to make sure that they're not, they're, they're not plugging into or supporting. And in, in fact, hopefully opposing the agents of chaos and the people who derive cha uh, power from chaos. And, and again, not just dumb luck, deriving power from chaos but understand they derive power from chaos and so they'll therefore set out to create chaos that they will then derive power from so but i think we can wrap from there uh we appreciate everybody for joining so hold on let me ask you make sure i understand you're asking me as a citizen that i should pay attention <laughs> But now we, we, we do appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, tell us what you think, send it to a friend. And until next time, I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Ivan Lana. All right, we'll talk to you next time.